career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? Divorce is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. Kids are gone. Now what? I'll never find love. Why can't I be like the other guys? Hey guys, gay, straight, and everything in between. It's time to get a grip. Stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40 plus life. Let's get to the show with your Tell It Like It Is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick, unless you act like one first. Hey guys, it is time once again for 40 Plus Real Men Real Talk. This is the place where we come and have conversations, interviews, and explore all that stuff that us guys 40 years old and older sometimes just don't want to talk about. And as you guys know, we're kind of winding it down here at the end of the year, and I'd kind of announce we may have some changes coming to this podcast. I still haven't figured out exactly what those changes look like. So yeah, I'm being a typical male, like being very indecisive right now, but hey, this is what us guys do. So I figured, you know, we're going to keep going strong. And speaking of going strong, I met our guest today through another part of my life where I coach speakers to help build their speaking business. And then ironically, lo and behold, we discovered he lives just in my own backyard. We're neighbors in a lot of ways. And we've gotten to know each other. And as I've gotten to know him, one of the things that stood out to me is this is a guy that if I was going to say, like, really knows how to step into his soul, find his truth, live his life from a place of honesty and just super what I consider high integrity, but also is able to put himself in very vulnerable places. This was why I was really drawn to him. I love hanging with him. We've done a lot of time together, just like working on his business and things such as that. But I also felt like he's the kind of guest that really brings to life that piece of helping you as men really figure out what's important to you. Where's that inner strength within yourself? What is that thing that drives you to that soul essence of who you are to do the stuff you do in life? And that's what I really want to talk about today with my buddy, Chris Fela, and just kind of have a candid conversation of why do men sometimes not step into this vulnerable space? What is it when we really tap into our strengths, not just our muscle strengths, but our emotional intelligence strengths and all that stuff? what drives us into those really cool spaces to do amazing things in life. So I'm going to shut up and kind of just let Chris join me here and say, I'm glad to have you here, buddy. And looking forward to this conversation. Wow. Well, thank you. That was, that was quite the, the intro. And I, I feel incredibly honored, first of all, and secondly, incredibly impressed by how you wove all that together. That was, that was really well done. So, well, um, you know, I just kind of have a magic wand that I wave and suddenly <laughs> this stuff just happens, you know, so it, it, it totally felt like it. So that's awesome, yeah. man. But yeah. yeah, this is just, it's been such an interesting journey with you. And I, you know, again, we're going to kind of step into, you know, that whole, you've been in the course that I work with on helping you get booked and paid to speak. And then we've done some sessions together, but then there's almost this interesting, like, we kind of get each other too. And we don't see each other a lot. I mean, it's not like we see each other every day, but there's something about this essence of when you meet another guy that you know you can go places with that you don't you don't really get that with other men. Right. And I feel like that's kind of where we are. And so I guess kind of get the ball rolling. Is that just kind of something you've seen in your life that you find yourself kind of, in a different space than other guys, like on this deeper level of vulnerability and stuff? Or is this like, no, I surround myself with a lot of guys like that in my life. Yeah. 
that's so interesting that you asked that because I'm, I'm still coming to terms with how uh, kind of awkward I feel sometimes with the level that I like to dialogue on and operate on and relate on. Um, I have this weird tendency for whatever reason, you know, for example, when I ask somebody how they're doing, it never comes across just like in a way that elicits just a fine or a superficial answer. Like I remember asking this, this one lady, I didn't even know that well. One time I asked her how she was doing and she literally kind of stopped in her tracks and mm. like, it almost felt like she like got like spotlighted. Like I was trying to dig into her soul and I wasn't, but there's just, for whatever reason, um, I, I'm just really bad at the superficial stuff. Mm. I, I almost wish that I was better at that because I can make people feel awkward sometimes, but my, the relationships that I really value are the ones that you can really talk about the stuff that it's like, man, I'm really struggling in this area here, or um, man, I can't believe I thought this the other day or, or did this to my, you know, in this relationship. So um, it, it sounds weird to say I'm actually working on <laughs> trying to like um, be better at the superficial, if that makes any sense. But um, it's hard for me to not stay in those deep areas for whatever reason. I get that. You know, it is, it's hard because I think a lot of us as men, we weren't encouraged to be in those deep areas. Right. And then suddenly as we start to excavate that out, I mean, I'm <clears throat> hugely in that space. I, if I could have a deep conversation with someone, I'll take that. Well, I wouldn't say I'd necessarily take that over a bottle of wine, but pretty much I would, you know, it's like, there's just something interesting about that, but it's also very hard sometimes to find people who can do that. Yeah. Because we've become such a society of, hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know, but like you, when I meet some people, I'll say, so how are you doing today? And it's just the tone and suddenly they're like, they don't know what the heck to do with that. <laughs> right. You know, like, it almost it, seemed like you really wanted to know, wait, wait, yeah, what, wait, wait. Doing? Yeah. It's people not don't that, know how they're doing. Yeah. But it, it is powerful. And it's something that I find, especially with guys to guys and, you know, I think it's interesting because of the dynamic, because me being a gay man and you being a straight man, there's just certain guys I bond with, but yet that, that difference does, it isn't like some weird piece. It's right. just like, Hey, we're just guys, you know, and we happen to like really have some connection. Right. And it doesn't become part of the equation. It's just, yeah. this is where we are. Right. You know? Cause I think, I think at the core of it, one of the things that I really try to be intentional about is I believe that each, each of us is, as humans just want to be seen. And, and even though we're afraid on a certain level, um, but, but one of the reasons that I feel like I kind of have be able, been able to, to operate the way I do or relate the way I do is because I had guys in my life that were, um, they had the courage to call things out in me that they saw. They had the courage to, um, challenge me and summon me, but also to like say those things that, you know, my dad never had the, the built-in capacity. He never had the wiring to mm -hmm. say these certain things, right? For him, if there was emotion expressed, it was, you want, you know, you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're like, wait a minute, how, that doesn't even make sense. And, right. um, and in my dad's defense, he's, in, he's become incredibly tender and aware of his own, um, you know, his shell has really come down and come off uh especially when he became a grandparent really mm. um and and just so rick to give you a picture of the contrast right because people aren't going to see the video of this but you know i'm wearing a flannel and i've got my little coma i'm like people might think i'm a hipster or something right, but right. 
to give you a, a picture of my dad in comparison, he's shaved head, goatee. He's got literally a bullet hole tattoo on the back of his head, hmm. um, rides a Harley and, you know, just drives a, a 3,500 series truck. And so that's kind of like, we never really had much to connect around, but right. it's so interesting that now um, he, he cries more than I do when, mm. when we're together, right? Because there's just something about that shell takes a lot of energy, like that, that facade of, of being a certain prescripted type of man takes right. a lot of energy. And I just never really wanted to play that game. But you just used the word prescriptive. And I think that's part of it is there's been such a prescription written out about what it means to be a man. Yeah. And we've all been fed that prescription over and over and over and over again. And then suddenly when you step away from that, then there's a whole stereotype that shows up. You're either a wimp. Right. Gay. um, A complete rebel. You know, mm-hmm. rebel, not in a good way, but like rebel, right. like, okay, you're just being a, an ass basically. And I, I find it interesting that when you do this, suddenly people, their defenses rise up because mm-hmm. they don't know what to do with it. Right. You know, and to your point about your own dad, my, I've seen my own dad soften up a lot too. Mm-hmm. And he was always very much, and he's still, there's still a, a pretty heavy edge of my way or no way, so to speak. But to see him soft is almost like I don't know what to do with it myself because Mm -hmm. I'm so conditioned to when's the when's the shoe going to drop, you know, when when am I going to let myself? Okay, I'm going to step in. I'm going to let myself be there. And then, boom, it's going to happen all over again. You know, right. But I also think something I've learned, maybe you learned something, too, about yourself in this is if I don't allow myself to go there in my own head, like when's the shoe going to drop? And I just accept what is mm. and we'll, and then choose to respond versus react when, you know, he does something. I'm so much more relaxed. Mm. I don't dread the calls and I, I don't see my dad that often, but you know, even when he gets on the phone, I'm not as God, can we just get over this? Like, can we just, <laughs> can we just get this phone call done? Because I really don't, I don't want to talk to you, you know? Right. So I just, I'm curious if you've kind of gone through some of that transition yourself. Yeah. Well, what happened with me, it was interesting that with my dad, I remember a specific moment when our relationship shifted Mm -hmm. and it went from kind of like what I experienced as critical dad, you know, to never up to snuff son. I can remember two specific uh, scenarios. One was the first time I remember ever hearing him say he was proud of me was when we were driving, I, uh, he actually bought us a, a Mini Cooper. And I would take this Mini Cooper on all the crazy roads around here, you know, some of these crazy winding ones, right. take him for a drive. And I literally scared the crap out of him, you know, and he's holding onto the handlebar and he, he was freaking out. And he's like, damn son, he's like, I'm so proud of you. I didn't know you could drive like that. And um, but that was the first time I remember hearing him say that. But then we were washing that same car a few months later and me and my son are are doing the washing and my dad is walking around. He's circling around the car, kind of like, just like seeing what we're, what, you know, things we're using for what and everything. And he's just making little comments Mm -hmm. and something inside of me finally was like, nah, wait a minute here. And so I just looked at him and and I did it with like, uh, like a smile on my face, but I really meant it. And I think he could feel the conviction in it. I was like, wait a minute. Are you just going to walk around and criticize us the whole time? Are you going to grab a rag and help? 
And he mm. kind of didn't know what to do with that. And he kind of like, you know, stepped back a little bit and, and then he ended up grabbing a rag. But, but literally from that moment, our relationship has been different. Mm. It was the strangest thing. And, um, but I have a friend, it's interesting. You talked about you being a gay guy and me being a straight guy and how, but, and those stereotypes, if, if someone were to, were to see this on video and right. they were to like switch our pictures up, right. Yeah. They would, they would totally think based on how the stereotypes yeah. go. Right. Yeah. And, um, but one of the things that's interesting, I have a friend named Katie Skurja who she does a lot of work with people, helping them find what she calls their inner diamond. This whole mm-hmm. idea that we all like, whether you use the language of the image of God or, you know, just our, our true essence as humans. Um, she, she used this language of, of all of us kind of having this inner diamond that we hide through these shells and, and through a, a layer of shame. It's really brilliant um, mm. work that she does. But one of the things that she talks about is how each of us inside of us have, because we, we use this language, right, of masculine and feminine. Yep. Which really confuses the situation, I think. Because if you are a guy and you don't resonate with the toxic or even the typical masculinity, then you tell the story by yourself and then you, you know, you make it like an opposite reaction to that, right? And believe these certain things about yourself. But, and the same thing with femininity. And so yep. what she does is she actually transcends that language. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I'm just kind of throwing this out as something that's been meaningful to me. She says, what if we saw it as each of us have an inner lion and an inner lamb? And we're all somewhere on the spectrum of having like, you know, these lion-like tendencies and these lamb-like tendencies. And we need them to be integrated, to be healthy humans. The problem is when we, usually where the problem comes actually is when we judge one of them as bad or evil or as toxic, then we slide to the unhealthy side of the other one. Mm which is so, so true, right? And yep. so for me, I saw this, these versions of my dad um, that I equated with kind of that, you know, that toxic masculinity. And a lot of it came from the stories that my mom fed to me about my dad. It wasn't based on, you, I, did you know you're getting into a little mini therapy session here, Rick? I don't know. If no, this is totally what we do on this. It's it like, we, we bring these things forward because other people like think, okay, I'm the only one who thinks this way, mm. or I'm the only one who's had this experience. Right. Yeah, it makes so, so much sense. I mean, this I love that piece because every once in a while I'll say, like, well, we all have our inner warrior, mm-hmm. we also have our inner wizard, right? You know, it's like how you choose to do it. And I'm totally like, I don't like to use the masculine feminine energy stuff because right. it's just too contrived, yeah. And it's polarizing, right? It's and it's very polarizing, mm-hmm. yeah. And it doesn't do justice to the realities of the nuance, right? Um, of, of what we experience inside of us. And so, but it, it's so interesting. And by the way, just a quick sidebar, one of the things that's been really, since we were on the topic of the dad relationship, one of the things that's been really healing was for me to kind of detach myself progressively from my mom's stories mm-hmm. about my dad and actually go back to my own experience from him and realize that there was a lot of disconnect there. Yep. And that's that's been incredibly healing for me. But um, back to the lion lamb thing. Yeah, I'm, I, it's cool to hear that this resonates with you because, you know, you, so say the lion looks like the typical masculine things, right? Decisive and badass and whatever, whatever right. things you want to call it. Um, and you find yourself being or like task oriented, right? I'm way more relational than I am task oriented. Mm-hmm. 
And so you could say, oh, I'm way more on the lamb side. But if we judge the side of the lion as evil or unhealthy or whatever, then right. you slide to that unhealthy side of the other. And so I've had to actually learn. I'm, I'm actually trying to become more decisive. I'm actually trying to channel certain parts of my dad where he could tell us to brush our teeth and, mm-hmm. and know, we knew that he meant it, right? <laughs> or whatever those little things are. But um, it's interesting, Chris, because if I were to like, so yeah, I'm just going to go there. If I were to like describe you to someone, I'd be like, he's very intuitive to finding a way to let people like, say their truth, live their truth, be their truth in their own way. Because you're always, you're always coming from a, almost like a, a beautiful questioning space. Mm. You know, you're almost like the observer. And so you observe mm. something in somebody. And I saw this when we worked together one-on-one and when we did a couple of our group stuff too. But um, it's just interesting to observe somebody who is in that observation space mm. because it's almost as if nothing, and I know this is, this is beyond the truth, but it's almost as if nothing is definitive for you. There's mm. always room for, for finding out more questioning or discovery. Mm. And I feel like when we get into this space, like we're talking about, you know, masculine, feminine, or the lion and the lamb, when you're in definitive masculine, feminine, there's no exploration, right? There, everything is definitive. There's so much black and white in our world. And I don't mean that from a Black Lives Matter perspective, which, but I think that's a good example of it. It's either Black Lives Matter, so why doesn't everybody's lives matter versus, well, let's be curious about this, you know? Yeah. And I think this is an interesting space for us as men, especially. Yeah. We have been, most of us have been socialized. You have to be definitive. You have to know exactly what you're doing. You have to know where you're going because we're the warriors. We're the, you know, caretakers, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You know, go put every stereotype down that you can. Yet what happens when we don't sit in that energy? Right. What happens when we give up? And I actually said this to somebody earlier today that I was coaching. I said, what would happen if you didn't have the answer? Mm Hmm. And you just allowed yourself to go find it. And even then, what if you didn't find the answer you're looking for? Mm -hmm. And this person said, I don't know that I could do that. And I said, and then you wonder why you're so stressed out and anxious all the time. Right. Because she's living her life. Like I have to know what a, what a just, I mean, I get (laughs) stressed. I got stressed just like, like listening to her. Like, like, okay, well, you know, I, I can't, Yes, there's certain things I want to know in life, of course, but yeah. I don't know that we ever really know. Yeah. We can trust, but we can't know 100% because things will change in a heartbeat. Right. That's you know so interesting. I mean? Yeah. So I wasn't trying to cut you off there. That's That just sparks so many different thoughts for me. So. Well, here's the interesting piece to that is, so back to the whole dad thing, who knew we were going to get off of the dad stuff here, but I think this is why so many men get where they are. Because it is this masculine father energy that kind of gets overlaid onto us. And then we question who we are as men, because are we living up to our dad energy or whatever? Or if we didn't get it, what we needed, then we don't feel like we're loved by our dads and all this sort of stuff. So ironically, I had a, a kind of a similar yet different experience with my dad where it's been a constant battle throughout the years about me being gay. And then even more of a battle when I decided to just do my own thing and become a coach and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, he's a contractor. So you build houses, you buy the lumber, you do this, you you know, there's, we know what we're doing. Right. Mm. But when there's a concept of 
Well, I don't understand what you do with people. I don't understand where you, you know, there's what, what's the end result? Mm. You know, it was, it's just never been anything that, you know, he could really wrap his head around or so I thought. And about mm, probably four years ago, maybe five, but it's been a few years ago, he had a stroke. And so we weren't doing real well together at that point, but it's one of those life's moments where you're like, okay, put the bullshit aside, just go. Right. And I remember walking into the hospital room and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about all, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Am I the little boy right now? Or am I going to be the man? Or I, you know, I was there more for my mom, honestly, like I'll just, you know, cut to the chase on that. Right. And, you know, typical mom, like, well, you know, I'm going to give you guys some time alone. I'm like, no, mom, please, (laughs) please don't leave the room. Right. Yeah, it's cool. But then it was kind of cool. And he was actually, it's funny because he recovered, you know, those who've listened to this podcast know I had a stroke a couple of years ago too. And I guess, I guess I have the good genes in it because he recovered from his like really quickly, like I did too. Awesome. But the irony of this whole thing was this his nurse walked in male nurse on top so you know all the masculine stuff's happening in this moment of course male nurse walks in and i'm like god he's really hot you know he's like like a nurse there right (laughs) right and then i hear my dad saying oh so this is my son rick and of course he always calls me ricky which drives me nuts even though that is my name it's just like i'm a 50 year old man please don't call me ricky and he goes and he just flew in from california to kind of come check on me and and the nurse is like, oh, cool. And I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. You know, I'm trying to hold myself in place. Like, you're really, really hot. You know, all this sort of stuff. And then my dad says, and he does some really amazing work. He helps people really figure out what's going on in their life when they can't seem to figure it out for themselves. I thought right there on the spot, I was going to go into cardiac arrest because I'm like, <laughs> I don't think he's ever understood what I did. And then he just goes off on this whole tangent. You know, you can tell the nurse is kind of like, okay, that's cool. But I, you know, you're not my only patient sort of thing mm-hmm. going on. And um, so I finally just said, Hey dad, you, thanks. You know, he's, he's got it. I think you need some rest and he's got probably got some other people to take care of. But it was that moment wow. where I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. Mm. And I had to like hold myself in kind of like that moment with your dad and you saying, Hey, you're going to help us. You're just going to criticize. I had to really like seize that moment Mm. and be in it. And I feel like for most of us guys, when we're not sure where we're going, what we're doing, how to get there, if we just lean into the soul of who we are, Mm. the answers come. Yeah. And we really get to feel that piece of ourselves. So it's interesting. You brought up this whole thing about if people could see the video of us and go okay which one of us is gay <laughs> right because of what i remember the first time i met you in person i'm like okay he's styling i knew you were you know i knew you were a pastor at a church and everything and you're you're like the epitome of the really cool like just hipster type pastor yeah. guys that i know right Great. and i thought this is really cool because i know a i'm going to relate to him number one mm-hmm. i already knew that from our sessions but how many times have you found yourself because of how you quote unquote present that other guys don't quite know how to, how to deal with you? Dang, that's a great question. I think I don't even let myself register that because you, mm. you wouldn't be surprised to find out that I was the kind of kid and, and even into adulthood that it's just so much easier for me to relate to women. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But the, the thing that sucked about that was, um, I was, I was always that guy that when I thought a girl was hot, I became 
the uh i i so quickly got myself into the friend zone right it's like oh chris is like he's such a good listener and he's such a you know he's like a brother to me and every time right. it's like, like damn it like no, right, I'm, right. Not, no I'm not um but and so it it's really been something that having quality relationships with guys um it, it's just it's way less natural and I've been married for 18 years and so for me and Sarah that's been something we've had to learn to navigate is she's always kind of challenging me to you know what what guy relationships are you leaning into who do you really she's always kind of um, not checking in with me but almost like challenging me like hey mm-hmm. are you making an effort to cultivate that brotherhood right. and and second of all like look, dude, it doesn't work for you to like be close to, you know, to have this like sister type mm-hmm. relationship with her and not that Sarah's, Sarah's not very threatened or she's not insecure, but um, it's just so much in my wiring and my background that I've had to really um, shift that. So I don't even know why, you know, what the point of me saying that was, which is part of the point of this whole conversation, right? But I think um, that, I, I think part of it is being able to say something like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't have a lot of male friends who could have just said like something like what you just said, mm-hmm. because they're not, and no disrespect, it's just, they're not dialed in that way. Mm-hmm. They're not dialed in to be able to see, I see this in myself. I know this about how I interact and I'm much more of a friend zone with women in general. Yeah. And I have to really work at my guy relationships and I'll, you know, the relationship you and I have built, I would relate that completely because it's so interesting to me to see the guy relationships that go somewhere with me are guys that I connect with mm-hmm. at a soul level. And I mean, I'll, I, I, I can say this and I find them attractive guys, not like mm-hmm. I want to jump in bed with you, but there's like, there's an attraction. Like I feel this connection Hmm. that like, I can be like that closer buddy with you. And then there's guys that scare the crap out of me Hmm. that I just, there, there's no reason I feel weird with them. should feel weird with them, but I just, I can't Hmm. because I know there's like this, like instant, like the magnets are like, you know, just Hmm. pounding. There's not, it's not going to happen. Right. And so I have that weird space. You know, where it's like, I really wish I could do that with some guys. And it's not just straight guys. There's some gay guys that have that same kind of like, I can't go there with them Mm. because it's so intimidating. Now, I have figured out one thing. What's that? Well, most men, gay or straight, that I have this interesting like aversion to, Mm -hmm. they actually have similar traits to my father. Mm. And, and so there was a period of time. So luckily your name is Chris and not Michael, because we probably would have never made it. There was a whole bunch of Michaels in my life. And every one of those Michaels, I butted heads with big time mm. because they have a very similar energy to my father. Right. But yet the weird piece of it is I was attracted to them because there was a piece of them that represented my father. There was an admiration for what they do, or there's an admiration of how they can show up and be like this leader or designer of a, a men's group or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I just, you know, I really, but what I was striving for Chris, which was so I, now I realize how fucked up it was. I just wanted their approval the same way I wanted my dad's approval. Right. And yet, even when they gave it to me, I remember one in particular 
where we butted heads, butted heads, but then out of the blue at a really big event, he gave me like this amazing acknowledgement. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, I'm so overtaken by that, but it still wasn't enough. Mm. And actually after that, and I, after I started to see him for like who he really is, mm -hmm. I realized how much that who he really is, is that piece of my father that I absolutely can't stand. Mm. But yet this hungry little boy was sitting there just craving for, I just want that attention. I want right. to be recognized. And suddenly when he did, I'm like, okay, well, I don't really want that, but then I don't know what to do with it. And so there's been just like, you know, mm. this interesting delving into myself to where I got into my soul. And it's interesting that how this kind of relates to the kind of work that you do. Mm. I found for me that once I figured that piece out, building my own business suddenly became much easier mm. because I quit grasping at these people out there in the entrepreneurial world. And I'm like, if they just pay attention to me, if they just pay attention to me right. and then they would. And then I'm like, okay, well that didn't give me what I wanted. So now what? Right. And so suddenly I was trying to build this business without leaning into my own strengths and getting into my own soul of my work. I was trying to get it from outside of myself. And then once I got that piece, it's like, no, just go do your thing, Rick. Just mm. go do your thing. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of like take mm. that to that realm of, go ahead, man. Yeah. It's yeah. No, I was just going to say that's beautiful, right? That moving from that inner place of, um, have you heard of David Data? D-E-I-D-A. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah. read some of his stuff, but he has a, he has a chapter in his book, the way of the superior man that's called live as if your father were dead. Mm. And just that title, right. Mm. is so powerful. And that there's something about that, that as guys, regardless of our age, we're wired for that admiration, that approval, that, um, that deep validation from a father. And to be honest, you mentioned that I'm a pastor and I, I don't know about your listenership, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to trigger anybody with any religious, you know, trauma and stuff like that. But one of the things about, you mentioned how I show up in the world, really my inroad into faith was when, as one of my friends says, that I was able to kind of scrape the face of my father off of the face of God. Mm. And how so many of us really, that's, that's what we do is, um, God must be like our father, but just multiplied by the infinite, everything, right. The omni, right. This and omni that. And, um, I, I don't mean this to sound like a shameless plug because I really don't even want to promote this thing. So I think it's going to get me in a lot of trouble with the faith community, but I'm writing a book right now called reframing God. Mm -hmm. And, and it's all about how all these ideas we have about God really, what if those things are so far from the truth? And I'll give you an example. We, we talk about God being all knowing, right? If you grew up in like the, in anywhere in the Western world, that's one of the things about God is God is all knowing. Right. But yet, if you look at how God actually operates, especially as revealed in Jesus, God always asks questions. Like, like God is a God of curiosity. God is yep. a God of benefit of the doubt. And so one of the things that you, you mentioned that I don't remember exactly how you worded it. Um, I, I experienced it. I don't remember the language you used, but you talked about just being able to, to be comfortable being you, right? The, the one of the mm -hmm. things that, that one of the reasons we connected was you felt like you could just be you. 
Right. And, and I think one of the, one of the things that's happened for me, oh, you're talking about that curiosity, like every, right. there's, there's no, nothing definitive that I guess the only thing definitive for me is that every human just really matters and mm-hmm. that we spend our time asking the wrong questions and looking for the wrong answers. Yep. And, and so, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm not trying to channel like that, that preacher side of me. Sorry if I'm going too much into that. No, no, this is beautiful. I love it. But, um, but I think like there's a, there's a study somebody once did and they, they proposed or they presented these three numbers and it was 307, 180 and 10. And the 307 represented how many questions Jesus asked just recorded in the new Testament. 180 how many he was asked and 10 was how many he answered directly and just how beautiful that is that like what it looks like for god to be all-knowing is that god asks the best questions yeah and that's just something that i've tried to like integrate into my being is i i don't want to assume anything about anybody but i want to ask the right questions that will help them get down to that diamond and let that thing radiate and that's and i feel like that's where where us guys is probably the most vulnerable thing is we're afraid Mm -hmm. to ask questions yeah because if we ask a question it immediately strips away what we're supposed to be as men right we're supposed to have it all figured out yeah we're not supposed to ask for directions nope we'll we'll (laughs) find our way there no matter what Right. right right and you know, that's such an old analogy at this point, because nope, I've got my GPS. That's all I need. Right. right. But if you didn't have your GPS, then what would you do? Yeah. You know, and I love that you're doing this book because it actually reminded me of Rob Bell's book. Um, what do we talk about when we talk about God? Because hmm. yeah. he kind of he started, he was the one who started pushing that envelope. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I found it so powerful. And then there's another, um, I can't think of his name right now, but um another pastor who's he's pushing a lot of those envelopes too, not from a place of blasphemy. Mm-hmm. He's in both of them. And it sounds like the same thing with you, both of them, uh, everybody's inviting us to think about our way of defining God. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess, because I come from a space of, I want everybody to have a faith in something bigger than themselves. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you have to have it in the same way that I look at it. Yep. And I think it's such an interesting conundrum that we're finding ourselves in as a planet right now in so many ways that if we just all said, hey, cool, we're all in this together and we're all going to find our way through this and you can have your belief system, I can have mine, but we become so polarized that it's got to be this or and and then we wonder why we continue to have these like just ridiculous battles in our own heads, let alone with each other. Yeah. And again, it just continues to bring the masculine energy up, masculine energy. And it doesn't, it doesn't invoke that, Hey, let's lean in like you do. And like I do, you know, because Chris and I are both perfect. So let's just make sure you guys get that. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Step up with it. But it's so interesting when you start to see that and you can step back and you can say, okay, but, if I'm going to be a leader in an organization or I'm going to take myself to that place in my own life, whether it's my career, my relationship, whatever it might be, because I've given myself permission to go dig deeper. 
and ask the question. Yeah. You know, the scariest thing, and I know you've experienced that even just in the coaching we've done around speaking Mm -hmm. is when the questions get asked and you're like, I don't know. (laughs) Right. Right. Because when we, we, if we don't know, then suddenly we are so vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And who's the one saying we need to have the answers. Right. Right. And yeah, you're, I, I'm totally tracking with you. And I think one of the biggest challenges is we, we don't know how to embrace paradox and Mm -hmm. polarity. And so, so we just, we, we push aside against each other, you know what I mean? And you going back to the whole thing about being able to hold space for people to, to kind of find their own journey and identify their own thing. I remember sitting at the beach on 4th of July a couple of years ago, and this one friend was talking about how she was convinced that truth is, is relative, you know, that there are no absolute realities and absolute things. And I have this other friend right next to her that's like, no, truth is absolute. And we have to have these certain things. And they both look at me and they're like, come on, Chris, tell her I'm right. And what was, what was interesting was both of them were convinced that I agreed with them. Interesting. And they both looked at me because and, and why was I able to somehow hold that space for them? And so what I did is I ended up taking the conversation. I, I call this third way leadership, right? Because so often we get stuck in these, these polarities and we get stuck to one extreme or the other. And then we just create enemies and conflict for ourselves, right? And so third way leadership says, what if truth isn't absolute or what if truth isn't relative? What if truth is relational? Hmm. And what if truth is only found in connection, in conversation, in a good question? And if, if we are ever operating with truth in a way that breaks relationship, then I would propose we're actually not dealing with truth. We're dealing with a counterfeit. And, and that's a big statement for somebody to coming from a faith background, right? To make right. that statement about truth, because I'm supposed to be in the business of drawing lines. Yep. And... But yet it's so powerful because I remember one of the key concepts and it's been 11 years now, I guess 10. Yeah. 11 years since I went through my coach training, uh-huh. I can, I can, I can remember the moment that this principle got put in front of us, that there's two kinds of truth. There's the mm. little T truth and there's mm. the big T truth. Okay. There's very few big T truths. Mm-hmm. Big T truths are the sun will come up and the moon will come up. <laughs> right. We need water and we need air. Yeah. You know, they, these are like, these are like those absolute truths, but yeah. everything and, else is little truths. Right. And I would add to your list and we need human connection mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. authenticity. Yep. There's just these things that suddenly when you start to go and, and I remember us going through that exercise and of course, you know, we got paired up and, and so we started having these like, well, how do you work with a client who they say, but this is the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you know that to be absolutely true? What, what, it, what is behind that, that makes it true. Right. Because what you're trying to get the client to do, and this is a great exercise guys to actually ask yourself when you get to that place where you're questioning something is to ask yourself, is that true? Which means it's a little T Mm -hmm. So how much weight does it really have? Or is it an absolute truth that without that answer, you cannot function? Very Mm -hmm. few things will be you cannot function without that being proven true. 
Right. That's like bedrock truth. Right. Bedrock truth. Absolutely. You know, and I think this is an interesting space where us as men, and I I know this is not women can't go through this because they do too. But I think for us men, we operate so often from the place of truth. It absolutely has to be this. And then we wonder why we have heart attacks and have relationships (laughs) break up and are miserable in jobs because this truth. And I remember a few months ago, right before the whole COVID pandemic started, I had a client who makes very nice sum of money, Mm -hmm. more than nice sum of money. I mean, I'm like, I can't believe even I knowing what I, how I coach was sitting there going, I can't believe you're going to walk away from this $2 million job near job. You got all this stuff going on, but for him, it wasn't his truth. Mm. And I remember him saying, finally, he goes, if I don't live my truth, I will die. Mm. And this was a guy who was in great physical shape, but he knew within his own being that this living the way he was living was going to kill him. Right. Because he was not aligned in his, his truth for him. Yeah. And this to me is a big activator for many men that you, you activate a truth that probably is coming from something outside of yourself. Number one, number two, you haven't really aligned that truth with your deepest values and beliefs. You're just operating from what I call the lip service truth. Like, Oh yeah, this is all good. You know, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, how you doing? You know, versus like we started out this conversation about, you know, how we address people, like, how are you doing? And then suddenly people don't know how to do this stuff because we're coming from that truer space of, I really, yeah, I want to know how you're doing. Yeah. It's just interesting, powerful things that we go through. Yeah. Well, that's such an interesting story, right? An example, because um, it's so fascinating the way, and and again, so I'm coming from like a, you know, a a currently being recalibrated faith background. So, but it's just so interesting for me. One of the things that I try to, to center my life around and anchor my life from is the, the archetypes of what was going on at the very beginning of the Bible with those two trees mm. and how with these two trees, we have this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And you're talking about how our, our like addiction to certainty and to knowledge and knowing things. And you talk about clinching up when this, you know, this friend of yours was telling you how she needed this knowledge, but, and then the way we end up categorizing things so strictly and so tightly, right in the good box or the bad box. And often parts of us even go into certain ones of those boxes and then we end up disintegrating as humans. Whereas what we've had from the beginning was this other tree we were invited metaphorically to, to eat from and to live from, right? The tree of life and how, when we could, like, if we can go back and live as humans, as guys, as girls, as whatever from the tree of life and say, what life wants to come through me right now. And Mm -hmm. if I make this decision, what if I didn't base it on, is this good or evil? But what if I made this decision based on how, what kind of life or death will it bring to my relationships, to my soul, to my being, to my business? And if we just could kind of reframe our, our categories, our framework a little bit yep. and come from a different starting point. And so I love that that guy was willing to, to put all that aside because there was this movement of life through him that he had to heed. Otherwise, he knew that even if it was $2 million a year, right, it was going to result in soul death. And I think that that kind of framework for me, whenever somebody presents me with a, a conundrum, right, or a, a challenging situation, whether it's in my work with my faith community or in one-on-one coaching or whatever, 
often I'll find myself going back to, okay, are you asking that question from this tree here of the knowledge of good and evil? And is it going to result in shame or judgment, right? Because you either one down yourself and turn into shame or one up yourself and you're better yep. than others. Or can you, can you identify and excavate the life in the situation and feed it and cultivate it and, and help bring that into fruition? And all of a sudden, just everything opens up and, and the relationship to what you're dealing with totally changes. And that's... Uh, it's powerful. It's so powerful. And, you know, this is something before we wrap up here that I think is a good example of this. So before my husband and I moved to this area of California, we lived in Southern California. And when the opportunity came up to say, hey, we're done, empty nesters, kids are both gone off to college and onto their own lives, so to speak we started looking to make a move. Now, of course, the first place that we operated from was, I'm going to use your example, the kind of the good and the evil. Mm -hmm. We didn't really enjoy living where we were living in Southern California. So we were looking for the good. Mm -hmm. You know, like, where can we move now that has like, you know, has, has the social life we want and the kind of stuff we want to be doing and all that sort of stuff. And then as we started to like re-engineer based on things that were happening, like, well, we couldn't find anything in the price range and all this sort of stuff. We began to recalibrate. And it's so interesting being a coach that I do this with people all the time, but then as you know, you can't ever do it on yourself, right? Totally, yeah. And so suddenly we're like, okay, well, what if we did the, you know, the absolute thing that most coaches will do? Well, if you had all the money in the world, da, da, da. Right. we kind of went that route. Like, what would we make this decision on? And we started operating from the perspective of what is the life we want to create? Yeah. What is the life we want to be living? Which had nothing to do with money, which is so interesting. We wanted, we wanted something where we had freedom to like, hey, we don't spend all our time, you know, in cars and everything. And I wasn't really commuting any, anymore, but we didn't spend our whole life like rush, 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 trying to get things done. Totally. We wanted stuff where we could like, Hey, we could get out and be outside in a heartbeat. Not that you can't just walk out of your house, but like go get on your bike and go and, and you're not fighting traffic or got to go find the perfect place to go, you know, start out your bike ride, all this sort of stuff. And we had already been coming up to, you know, the San Luis Obispo area years and years that we love this area, Paso, all that. Mm. But it was so ironic that as we were having those conversations that when we did come up here, it suddenly honed in that this felt like home, mm. but it wasn't because of what we ended up spending on a house. Cause we actually spent on a per square foot price point, the same amount we would have if we'd gone to San Diego. Right. But it was what we got in return and in an exchange yeah. that made all the difference in the world. And I'm love that this culmination of this conversation came up around mm. this tree of life, tree of good and evil thing, because I don't know how many of us actually let the life flow, flow through us yep. that we truly desire. We make the decisions from, well, is that going to be good for me? Or is that going to be bad for me? Right. What if it was just, this is what I want to have occur and there's no judgment around it. I wanted something where I could continue to do what I love doing but do it from a space of not feeling rushed, 
not feeling like I have to go show up somewhere to find things or whatever. And the irony of this entire experience is in less than three years time, without a lot of quote effort, I have the best life possible. Wow. In so many ways, financially, health wise, even through having the stroke, I feel like the stroke was like one of those things like this is happening for you, man. Mm, wow. And I think this is the interesting thing that you bring to the work you do, Chris, because you just help people dial into this. And I know you're, you know, you do the strengths based stuff and everything else, but it's like helping people dial into what is their truth mm-hmm. and that realignment, you know, that realignment, even of your book, it's such a fascinating thing because that almost seems like it's the backbone of the work you do in general. Mm. Right. Wow, and thank you for putting that language to it because that's really that's really beautiful. Yeah, what a cool thing for you to be able to say, right? Not only do I coach people into this, but I've been able to like I'm in this season, I'm in this kind of life myself right now. Mm-hmm. That and I make every decision based on the life. I mean, I have some opportunities right now that I'm like, but does that equate not financially? Right. Does that equate to the life and the impact and the legacy that I believe I want to have in the world and leave in the world? Yeah. Because if it doesn't, then it doesn't get done. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with like all the introspection all of us have been, well, a majority of us have been doing through this whole Petri dish of this pandemic we've been all right. sitting in. Right. But it's, it's just, it's a, become a very substantial part of my thinking just because you know, this is what's important to me at this stage of my life. Yeah. Doing things for these reasons, not for those reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to live from the inside out instead of from the outside in, being able to live from a deep sense of, um, yeah, kind of values expression, right? Instead yep. of external expectation is something that a lot of us talk about, but to really be able to get to that place and stay in that place is is a, I think it's the journey. I think it's an incredibly difficult thing sometimes, but Mm -hmm. what else really is there? Right. Because Mm -hmm. that affects our relationships that affects our physical health. It it flows into everything we do, that whole ability to live from the inside out. And yeah. um, It's just, it's such an interesting, just an interesting space to play in. Yeah. And especially for men. Yeah. I think that ability to dial in, and go, okay, but from my soul, yeah. if I allowed my soul to be truly, you know, I love, I can't, uh, Carrie Underwood's song, you know, Jesus take the will. It's that same thing. If I let my soul take mm. the wheel, right. What happens? Right. And even as I say that, and I use this a lot, I use that terminology a lot when I'm coaching somebody, I'm like, if your inner soul was at the driver's, you know, they were in the driver's seat right now what would happen? Yeah. Because there's something interesting that causes at least, I I feel like it causes the brain to do something completely different mm-hmm. because it's almost like logic goes out the window at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And when, and it's not saying logic isn't necessary. I, I know logic, ego, all that's necessary, but there's a piece of if these other things drive the direction, what starts to happen with stress, anxiety, not feeling enough, lack of confidence, self-worth, all these other things I believe start to just diminish. Yep. 
And then you can step fully into who you are and what you're meant to be. Yeah. And then ironically, right, then all those other things start to come back around, but in a more beautiful way, where you're able to enjoy them instead of, you know, stressing and straining to keep them. Or, you know, it's just you, you experience everything so differently. Absolutely. That's really beautiful. How did Jung say it? He who looks outside dreams, he who looks inside awakens. Yes. Just that that beautiful invitation, right? That there's something that wants to come through you to the world and, and not in spite of you, right? But with your permission and with your participation. And yeah, like that's what a, what a beautiful thing to be able to, to say yes to and, and to, to access. I think that's the thing. And that's probably a good place for us to kind of wrap it up is when you allow yourself the ability to access some of these things that Chris and I have been throwing at you all for the entire time of this conversation, but allow yourself to access it. You can hear it. We can all hear stuff, but if we don't access it, what do we then accomplish? If we don't do something with what we hear, if we don't act upon it, what did, what's the point? We might as well just like tune a deaf ear at that point in time. Yeah. Keep doing what we're doing. But that interaction is the thing that I feel is really, really, truly powerful. So, um, so really quick here, Chris, before we wrap it up, all this will be on the website as well. But um, if somebody wanted to like learn more about you, where's the, the best place to get in touch with you? Yeah, well, that's awesome. I'd be honored if they do. Um, my website, I'll have to spell out my name, but it's www.chrisfela. That's F like fun, A-I-L-L-A.com. And um, my phone number's on there and stuff because I'm much more of a phone guy than I am an, an email guy. Um, I'm even more an in-person guy. But yep. yeah, if, if anybody's interested in, in doing more work about tapping into their, you know, their why, their purpose or relationship work, whatever it is, I, I would love to serve and support in whatever way I can. So yeah, Rick, this was a blast, man. Thank you. Oh, so I, I enjoyed it too. And, and, and trust me, listeners, if you misspell his name, you won't be the first one. So just, just, <laughs> right. just know it'll be on the website where you can like click right over and do it. So uh, yeah. thanks so much, man, for spending this time with me. I so appreciate it. I love the message that we were able to share with the guys today. Yeah. Well, thanks for anybody listening and uh, for everybody listening. Yeah, Rick, seriously, thank you. Always, uh, I always come by super refreshed and energized by, uh, by our time together. So love it. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for 40 plus real men, real talk where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus real men, real talk where the conversations continue.